Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have an amazing show with Yaha Abdul-Mateen II. But before I get to him, I want to talk about Majorie Taylor Greene and the so-called Republican identity crisis happening in Washington, D.C. right now. You know, in case you missed it last week, the QAnon congresswoman from North Georgia, Majorie Taylor Greene, was stripped of her committee assignment by the House of Representatives. Only 11 Republicans agreed with House Democrats that the anti-Semitic, 9-11-denying, Parkland-shooting-denying congresswoman should be stripped of her committee assignments. But perhaps even bigger than the vote was Green's press conference after she was stripped of her committee assignments. I want to tell you, Republican voters support him still. The party is his. It doesn't belong to anybody else. This impeachment trial that's going to happen next week is a circus. It's a circus that allows media companies to get lots of clicks, lots of views, and sell ad dollars. And you know what? That's pretty disgusting, too. Now, this woman is batshit crazy, but she's spot on in reminding Republicans that the people who think the election was stolen and who stormed the Capitol and who live and die on every lie from Donald Trump, that's the face of the Republican Party now. Republicans don't even have an identity crisis because people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump know exactly who the Republican Party is. It's the party of Trump and the party of Greene and people like her who fuel the modern Republican Party. The country club said of the Republican Party wants you to move on. They don't want this impeachment trial. They don't want to talk about this attempted coup where Republicans sought to kill then-Vice President Mike Pence. They want you to believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is somehow an outlier. But again, only 11 Republicans sought to strip her of her committee assignment. The same way that Republicans have made AOC and Leader Pelosi the face of the Democratic Party, Democrats must never let Americans forget that the face of Donald Trump's Republican Party is Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Capitol rioters. For years, Republicans have known that their base consists of some of the most vile elements of this country, but they didn't care because they were winning. But at some point, when you create a monster, sometimes you lose control of it. And that's precisely what the Republicans have created. Marjorie Taylor Greene, QAnon, and the Capitol rioters are Republicans' chickens coming home to roost. And Democrats cannot let Americans forget it. And that's that on that. Now on to our conversation with Yaha Abdul-Mateen II. Welcome to the Bukhari Sellers Podcast, Yaya Mateen Abdul II. What's going on, my brother? How are you? Abdul-Mateen II. Yaya Abdul Mateen the second. There we go. How you doing, my go. brother? Everything going good, man? Good morning, man. I'm, I'm all right, man. So I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. We start every conversation by having each of our guests walk us through the arc of their careers and mm. just learning more about you. Your yours is fascinating. And a podcast first for us. You're a trained architect and former city planner turned actor. Talk to us about how you transitioned from urban planning to television and film. Uh, the, the short of it is that, is that uh, I got laid off. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a trained architect. I, I never I never worked as an architect. That's what the Internet will, will, will say. It's like I'm an architect. I studied architecture. That's that's what okay. my, uh, my, my undergraduate uh, degree is in uh, architecture. Uh, I, I aspired to be an architect, but I ended up working in uh, city planning. Uh, I just made that distinction just because I just want to be factual. And uh, but in undergraduate, you know, at, at Berkeley, I took some acting classes. Um, I enjoyed it. And um, there was a seed that was, you know, planted in in the back of my mind and, um, you know, never really thought that I would I would do anything with it. But the seed was there, you know, and so I was working in city planning in San Francisco at the mayor's office of housing. 
extremely rewarding job. And I think this was 2000 and, um, 2010. And uh, I got I got laid off. You know, it, it, it got late in the year and people weren't really putting up buildings and, you know, the budgets for my position, you know, uh, they just kind of ran out of money and uh, I got laid off. And that gave me an opportunity to take my unemployment and to go and to go try to have some fun. You know, I was at a place where I said, I, I don't want to have any regrets. And, um, you know, I, I said, well, we'll see what happens. Why not? Why not go and try this acting thing? And, uh, you know, I said I wanted to give myself three years to make significant progress. Had no idea what significant progress was. And at the end of 14 months, I got into the best drama schools in the country. And and, uh, and I decided mm. to go and try that out. I went to Yale and uh, the rest, as they say, is a uh, is, uh, history, it's I history, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's still, and the history is still being written. Yeah, sure, before sure. We, before we get to the Chicago 7, let's talk about the diversity of the roles you've played. Yeah. Recently from Bobby Seale in Chicago 7, you're a superhero in Aquaman and Watchmen. By the way, Watchmen is just like, fascinating to me I, I love it you're doing horror films in Candyman that will be released this year and you're mm-hmm. in Matrix 4 so you'll be starring in an action film as well in 2021 for those of us who don't know how much actors put into becoming their characters talk about what goes into becoming a character and how you transition between such a diverse range mm-hmm. of characters yeah well you know for me it's, a, it's, it's all play and you know um I think for me, I've been able to be diverse because I'm willing to take risks. It helps that I have a face that transforms and I can do with mustache and a beard. And so my physicality lends itself to, to that type of transformation. But it also, I think it takes courage to risk transformation because you also risk embarrassment of a failure. You know, yeah. um, I can, especially in this industry, I can do what works for me. I can do, you know, what, what I believe, um, I could lean towards my strengths, you know what I mean? And just sort of be like a strong and stoic presence. I know I, I, I sort of get that for free, uh, but I'm also interested in being silly and like whimsical and, and, uh, and, and, you know, playing around in, in, in different genres. I think, you know, I'm really interested in having the freedom to be able to allow my career to be whatever it wants to be, whatever I desire. So I give myself the freedom to not have to be in one specific category. And then after that, you know, um, I think my philosophy is, well, if I'm going to take the risk, um, I got to go. All, I got to I got to go all the way. And uh, and, and then the yeah. next thing is a lot of hours. I think, you know, you got to got to put in a lot to put in the hours. <laughs> I mean, you 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 just you embody all of these roles so well. I mean, I I, I am in love with uh, this this project, Chicago mm-hmm. 7. Let's talk about that for a minute. We're going we're going to run the trailer here. You know why you're on trial here? Right? It was until I saw that. Martin's dead. Bobby's dead. Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. Rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. It's revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Get out of the street! Get out of the street! When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I 
I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. For listeners who aren't familiar with the Chicago 7 trial, can you give background on the trial that you portrayed in the film? Uh, yeah, so I, I play uh, Bobby Seal in the film of the, the trial of the, of the Chicago 7. It's a film about seven defendants who were, or eight, eight defendants who were put on trial um, after the Democratic Convention of 1969. They went separately to uh, Chicago to protest various things, but amongst those things were the Vietnam War and uh, police brutality. And, uh, and you know, this was a trial where several of those activists were placed on, on trial for inciting a riot. You know, it, it, that was the charge that was placed upon them. And, you know, uh, they, they were placed on trial for a conspiracy to incite a riot when in actuality um, there was no conspiracy to incite a riot. And they were basically being mm-hmm. punished for uh, for being uh, activists. And so they were lumped into a group um, and, and put on trial. Now, Bobby Seale, uh, his situation is unique because he had zero interaction with anyone else on trial. But then while he was on trial as well, he also did not have representation. So he was he was held on trial without mm-hmm. representation uh, for uh, several months. And he spoke out about that uh, uh, vehemently and passionately uh, while while he was on trial. And so uh, the, the, the role that I play in the film depicts that part of uh, Bobby Seale's experience, Bobby Seale being co-founder of uh, the Black Panther Party. Yeah. You know, this story, it sticks out to me. My father was arrested and charged with rioting February 8th, 1968 in what they call the Orange Road mm. Massacre. He was the first, he was the only man who was charged and convicted that night. Law enforcement shot and killed three students, Henry Smith, Samuel Hammond, and Delano Middleton, and wounded another 28. My father was shot and arrested that night. He was one of the founding members of the Student Nonviolent mm. Coordinating Committee. And so this story echoes from that era of so much injustice. You're, you're an Oakland guy, yeah, right? Yeah, West Oakland. So a guy from Oakland playing Bobby Seale is a big deal because he's a yeah. legend. Did you feel any added pressure playing Bobby Seale? And what, it's, what is it like playing a, a hometown No, icon? there wasn't pressure. You know, I don't think pressure helps. There was a responsibility that, you know, if anything, there was a excitement. You know, I was, I was very, very excited. Yeah. excited. I turned those pages and I said, oh, man, I can go and, like, honor a, 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 a hometown legend. You know, and so I, I poured into this with a lot of excitement and also knowing that I had a responsibility to, you know, to to be an advocate for Bobby Seale, you know, and to, to be an advocate for his experience during that trial. Um, so, no, if anything, this was there was more excitement about the opportunity to go and represent him and represent that represent his story. You know, how deeply when you're playing these roles, how deeply engaged do you have to be in the history of that time period as you prepare? Yeah, I think for it helps. Like Everything is fuel for the fire. You know, we have the words on the page. We were, I was uh, fortunate enough that uh, a lot of errands that the majority of the words that we, in the interaction that we had in the trial came specifically from the transcript. Aaron didn't take so much license in the, in the words that we spoke. Uh, so that was a gift. Um, but it also helps to be as engaged in the history um, as possible because it makes you know, one, you know, you're depicting someone's actual experience, you know, someone's real true to life experience. Mm-hmm. And so you want to honor that. But then it's just important to be able to give to equip yourself with as much uh, stimulus as possible, you know, so that the words take on the meanings of the times in 1968. And what it would it, it like to be an activist, a black activist, a black man in 1968 in prison and struggling to hold on to or fighting, I should say, to hold on to to his humanity, you know, that the world around him is, is so is, is uh, trying to take away, you know, so it, it's, it's so important to be aware of, uh, you know, to be aware of that history, to be aware of the present, to 
also have a goal and to say, well, this is how I want this performance to resonate now, you know, you know, because at the end of the day, it is at the beginning of the day, it is art. But at the end of the day, it is art that that, that is intended to have a message and to evoke a, a specific response um, in the context of, of the world in which it's displayed, you know, which in our case would have been 20. I mean, you. you... I'm sure you get a lot of scripts, right? I I don't know how this works. I mean, I you know I just tell folk that I was supposed to be uh, uh, People's Man of the Year, but got uh-huh. beat out by Michael B. Jordan. That's as close as I've been to, you know, th- this level that you guys are on. I'm sure you get a lot of scripts, but it seems like you appreciate this time frame from you know in Watchmen you touched on Black Wall Street and Tulsa. You know, here you're you're dealing with Bobby Seal. How do you make a decision when you get scripts about what roles you take, what time frames? I mean, is it just the mood you're in or how you take a risk? Because I'm sure when you read the Watchmen script and they were like, Squid mm-hmm. are going to be falling out the sky. You were like, what in the world yeah. is this? I mean, so how do you well, decide uh, which ones uh, you take? It changes. You know, it it, 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 it all comes down to, my, to, to uh, my appetite and what I feel like doing at the moment. But then other times, you know, I have to say, okay, well, what does this project want to do? What, what does it want to, you know, what does it want to say? What does it say about my legacy as an actor? You know, what does it say about um, about the world? What is the message? You know, right now, that's sort of one of the questions that I'm asking is like, what's the importance of the projects that I do? And, you know, um, but I'm also, you know, I've also been infatuated with this idea of uh, freedom. You know, I want to have the freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do as an actor. And then at the same time, I want my projects to say something and to have an impact in the world. So it, it's a mix of both. It, it's a mix of the importance of the project and my appetite as an actor. And I've been so blessed that I've been able to put myself in a position where I have those options, you know, to say yes or no. Yeah. Well, it's definitely an eclectic. You have one of the most eclectic portfolios out there. How can listeners can watch Chicago 7? It's, it's, it's been streaming on Netflix uh, since uh, last year and it's, and it's still streaming. So definitely go ahead and uh, log into Netflix and check that out. Definitely. And I, I'm just, you know, for me, I'm just taken aback by uh, what is one of my favorite, uh, you know, we just got we got confined, you know, we got confined to the house for about a year now. And mm-hmm. Watchmen was one of the things I went to. You won an Emmy this year for it, So congratulations. Are Thank in you order. so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's dope. Uh, for people who've been under a rock, what was Watchmen about? If you can tell them, I mean, it's one of those things you gotta you gotta follow. You ask me what Watchmen is about. That's what you're yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have no idea what Watchmen is about. I'm still trying to figure that out, man. Watchmen I'm still processing. Uh, an adaptation from a, a graphic novel uh, from I believe the the '80s was was did the Watchmen come out in, in, in the '80s? Man, I, I I'm um, not a, I'm not a graphic novel guy. I know Black Wall Street, so for me, this was a new entree into something and then with all due respect i didn't come to watchmen for you i came for regina king absolutely, like everybody absolutely, comes absolutely, for. Absolutely. and we got you we got you i came you. for regina king you know, <laughs> I, I came for, for regina king as well but it, you know it's a story about to me you know it was a story about intergenerational trauma how trauma is, is passed down and inherited from generation to generation it starts off with uh the, the massacres on black wall street and and uh follows follows that trauma down to a couple of generations and then and it falls into our uh our lead character Regina King's uh lap and we see how she's still dealing with the with the repercussions of that of those traumatic events um even in uh in the present day you know and uh, it's a hero story it's an action story it's a love story uh it's a story yeah. about uh reparations you know it's a story about uh, uh taking ownership um of your situation and, and dealing with your history and you know, it's a it, it's a it's a it's an epic hero's adventure. I, I think um, with with with. I mean, I, lot to take I I'm away. not gonna, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm I'm pretty sure everybody's probably seen it. But you know, when you when you get a chance to play a hero, that does does that give you some type of added motivation to go in there? Because we don't see a lot of black people play the role of hero. 
Yeah, it's always nice. It's always nice to be a hero. You know, we get villains. I, I got a couple of villains or bad guys under my belt. It's nice to be a hero. It's really, it's, it's nice to be the hero, you know? Um, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can always tell somebody, you know, you know, people have you on their wall, you know? That's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I saw a guy with a, with me with a, the, a tattoo of uh, my Dr. Manhattan on, on his cap or on his arm or something like that. I'd say, wow, that really, uh, that, that so that's crazy. So, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I would always, I always tell people, and it's even a chapter in my book, I always tell people, you got to dream with your eyes open. Yeah. And I gave a speech and a, and a young lady, actually tattooed that on her leg. And I was like, this is mind blown. It was wow. crazy. Dream with your eyes open. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah, I hope her parents aren't, I don't know why she got it if her parents are listening. But you had the chance to work with two icons, Regina King and Lou Gossett in Watchmen. Mm. Talk about what that experience was like and what you've incorporated into your craft by virtue of working with these incredible professionals. You know, working with uh, Regina King, you just learn to have fun. You know, you learn to be, to work with Grace and to, you, you know, you learn to have fun. She she's the, the consummate professional, uh, keeps the morale very high on set. Love 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 working with Regina. With, with Regina, she's so playful and, and giving. So you know, I, I learned to be that type of partner. With uh, with Lou, man, Lou was the sharpest person on set every time he was around. You know, and he's a uh, playful. He just seemed to be so such a he's professional playful, person. Man. He's curious, and so that's what I learned from from Lou is not to take yourself seriously, but work on your craft and continue to keep your curiosity. That's why he's had the career that, you know, that, that's why he has the career that he has and has had for such a long time, I, I know, because he, he's so sharp and he keeps his sense of play and, and uh, curiosity. So, you know, stay curious. You know, that's 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 the thing that I learned, I learned from him. Stay curious. I mean, not many, not many people can say that they have the portfolio you have, but also worked with these amazing people. And uh, 2021 um, for you is a big mm -hmm. year. I mean, everybody can't say that. Every actor can't say because a lot of projects have been shut mm -hmm. down. A lot of people haven't been able to do the work. But it's a big year for you with two major projects coming this year in Candyman and The mm -hmm. Matrix 4. Candyman is a sequel to the iconic 1994 film with an all-star cast and co-produced by Jordan Peele. To the extent you can talk about it, what can we expect from this project? And is there a better mind around horror films right now than Jordan Peele? And what, in your view, makes Peele so good at scaring us all shit? A lot of questions. I think... Um... <laughs> You know, I think we can expect another horror movie with a twist, you know, from from uh, Candyman. We, and we can expect uh, some questions about, you know, we talked about heroes and heroes versus villains. You know, I think this one definitely asks um, us to look at Candyman and, you know, and, and, and ask that question about is he a hero or, or is he a villain? We, we look at the utility of, uh, of uh, Candyman and how Candyman was a was a martyr, you know, in the original Candyman. And we, we so it, it's also a story about unwilling martyrs and, you know, what, what happens when our um, when the ghost of unwilling martyrs uh, come back and who they haunt and, and uh, why, you know, so we're extending that question and putting, and putting our own, you know, 2020 twist on it or 2021 twist on it, I should say. Mm. And then Jordan, you know, people, they, they, they met him as a comedian and then you get to, you know, meet him as this brilliant horror writer. He loves, loves, loves the, you know, the genre. Um, and he's, and he's tuned into, He's tuned into the world. So I think he, he he has a mission and he has a thesis. You know, I'm not sure what, what that is specifically, but he's looking at. <laughs> but I think his his projects are um, are a thesis. He's asking a question about humanity. He's asking a question about about life as a black American, about the black experience and about, you know, horror. One of the things that I know is that. We tell, you know, we tell stories about what it's like to be a black, to be black in America, but you know, to be a black man in America, black person yeah. in America. And a lot of times they don't. A lot of times our stories aren't aren't believed. They're they're you know they 
you can't fathom mm-hmm. it, you know? So what better way to get people to believe it than to, than to tell it in the, than to tell it in the form of a, of a, of a horror, you know, once you once once you put it in, you know, some of our everyday stories that are horrors to us, you know, if you put it in a, in a horror genre, then you get people to come to the theaters and to say, Oh, wow, I had no idea. Or now I understand some of the things that yeah. you're talking about. So I think horror is an excellent genre to talk about uh, some of the, the, uh, some of the traumas, you know, that we have as a, as a black people. I think it makes a pretty good partnership. I mean, you, you brought up some interesting points there. I mean, as we're going through this period of, of, um, of a interesting, I guess that they call it a racial reckoning. What role do you think that, uh, you know, actors and artists such as yourself play in helping explain the experience of Black folk and also helping us as we watch your art, you know, take our mind somewhere else and take it off the trauma that we face yeah, in I our think, daily lives? I think artists have to educate ourselves, you know, first and foremost, if we decide to use our platforms for that, you know, if we decide to use our voices, because these days, every day, everywhere, everyone has a platform and it's so easy to get out and to say things. I think an artist's job is that if we decide to, uh, to to use our voice, that we have to educate ourselves, that we have to align ourselves with other people who has made it their mission to move the black cause and move the move the cause forward. So uh, we can't just come out of our own heads and make ourselves activists and, and give ourselves positions because we have platforms. I think we have to look back to the examples of you know in, in the '60s and the '70s. We have to look back to examples of other artists and so to speak celebrities who align themselves with scholars who align themselves with people who made it their, you know, scholars, you know, uh, religious figures, people who made it their, their lively mission to move the world forward for the betterment of its people, you know? And so I think that's, that's the one thing that, that that's one of the things that we can do is educate ourselves uh, first. And then after that, you know, to, to continue to be individuals, to, to speak up, you know, to, to use our platforms, uh, to understand that in this day and age, more than ever, it's a refrain from the from the from the movie the Tribe of Chicago Seven that the whole world is watching, you know. And so we have a responsibility when we choose to have a responsibility, you know, because everyone isn't everyone doesn't have the same job, you know. So I, I want to be careful not to generalize and not to apply the same responsibility to all artists. Some artists is just not their position. Some artists it's their job to just put up to 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 put other people to the forefront. But, but I think uh, most of all, we can be uh, equipped and educate ourselves so that when the time comes for us to have a role, that that we have a role, you know, to play and that that role is rooted in, uh, in fact, you know. I mean, that's important, especially with all the misinformation going out. I mean, during this time where we have a, a global pandemic that is that has shut things down, including movie theaters, what have you experienced as being the the difference in the way that you create your art or is that is it still the same you know it used to be we want to get in as many theaters as possible we want to have this and that so what what impact has the environment that we've been in today impacted your everyday life your life yeah, in terms your of my art? livelihood it's, it's impacted it you know in the same way that it's had an impact on everyone else you know the the sacrifices the change in uh, everyday habit the uh isolation at times you know, I definitely haven't haven't been exempt. I've been fortunate enough to be on sets and to be continuously working throughout this thing. So, I've been definitely blessed in that way. But I've also learned and 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 really really seen the importance of what we do. You know, to be able to provide an outlet, like you know, escapism. You know, good art for people to sit down on their couches and come together and build and build community. Build you know, watching television, watching watching movies, watching films. A lot of times, it's the only thing that we have. You know. You look online and you see how yeah. 
you know, people are really just looking for community. If you look at the versus battles and things like that, that's been going online. People come together and that started yeah, off yeah. with people feeling like they were in the club and things like that. And you, we, gave, we gave Oakland their own versus battle. Yeah, had yeah, own yeah, battle. yeah, yeah. That was dope. I still go back and watch that on rerun. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it's really about, uh, you know, it's made it even more important to build community, you know, to lean into the ideas of community, to, you know, always be creating um, and, and, and with the ideas of uh, community in mind, especially right now. So, I mean, one of, as we as we near an end, what is it like to join a successful franchise like The Matrix, man? I mean, that is just that has to be I don't want to say the highlight because you've done a lot of stuff, but that has yeah. to be an amazing and amazing check mark in your in your resume that is that is long and growing. Yeah, The Matrix is cool, man. Uh, it is. It's a dream that I didn't even, that I didn't even know that I had. You know, you you stand there and you and you're working opposite Keanu Reeves, and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'm working opposite Leo. You know, um, so that's it's you know you know it's a dream, and I think also the Matrix is a uh, it, it it wants to be um, important. You know, I, I think it, it's 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 made with the present world in mind. Our Matrix, I think, is made with the present world in mind, and so I think there's going to be a lot of messages. Uh, that that you know that people can get, but that still lives in the world in the in the realm of the matrix, and so I'm very excited to to to, uh, to bring that to the world later this year. I mean, how did what, your agent just call you and be like, "Are you sitting down?" I mean, how does that come? I mean, do you just get an email, a Google alert that says oh, you're going to be in the matrix? How does that uh, work? I got a phone call. I got a Facetime from uh, from uh, Lana Wachowski, and uh, she she welcomed me to the team. And, oh, that's uh, dope, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're brilliant. You're a great actor. You you have. I mean, there's still so much you can learn. I'm sure you would say that, but you you've decently mastered the craft of acting. When when are you gonna? When are we gonna see you writing or directing uh, or or you know it, you know I I, I um, Megan Good has been a guest on the show, and we've had many who who've come through who are trying to expand their horizons, and I just see that as possibly being something that you could you could encounter and, and conquer like definitely. anything. Definitely, um, you know, it's all about seeing seeing what I could do and you know stretching myself. You know, I. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm currently writing something right now. I directed something when I was at, when I was at Yale. So I definitely have those aspirations and uh, just comes to be, be, you know, just having the, having the time to do it. I've been so busy on sets. And so, you know, once I get a little bit of downtime, then I think I do a little bit. Of- when you, when you look back at that piece that you directed at Yale, what you think about it? Oh, it was good. I liked it. I, yeah, I liked it. Oh, I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> I, I love working. I love working with actors. I love talking about acting. Um, so that's what directing allows me to do. You know, it also reminds me of my responsibility as an actor, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I loved having having that experience and being in, in the director's chair. And now also to bring it to the back to the top of our conversation, you know, it also uh, you get to use my architecture brain because then I get to talk about set direction and, and, uh, and uh, you know creating okay. sets and and you know designing the built environment and things like that as well. So it kind of uh, you, you know gave me the chance to rely on um, you know on, on some of those former skills that you know that I used to use from Chicago Seven to Watchmen. To Candyman, to The Matrix 4, uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second. I just want to say thank you, my brother, for joining us and spending some time on the show. Yeah. You've been gracious with your time, and um, I'm a huge fan. You got a huge fan in the Sellers household. Anything that you need from me, we're always here for you, brother. Thank you for spending so some much. time with us today. All, right, all the best, man. For sure. All right, peace. Now, before I let you go, before I let go, happy Super Bowl to everybody. I wanted to talk about some of the recent data that came out last week regarding the COVID vaccine and vaccination rates to date, suggesting that just 5% of the vaccinations given out to date have gone to black folks, despite the disproportionate impact of COVID on black Americans. Now, obviously, vaccine hesitancy is an issue for many of us, 
But I want to caution against misrepresenting that 5% figure is one that we can chalk up to vaccine hesitancy. Instead, the real culprit is access or lack thereof and a vaccine distribution system that misses the mark on equitable access. How so? Well, when so many vaccinations are appointment-based and require access to the internet to make appointments, in many cases, where do you think that leaves black senior citizens? And if you're like me and looked into appointments for a parent or loved one, those phone numbers that state departments of health gave out were overwhelmed or oftentimes down. When hospitals are a major distribution point for the vaccine, a point to keep in mind is that black Americans are two times less likely to live in a community with a hospital. Look no further than my hometown, where our county hospital has been closed for years. Our communities are less likely to have pharmacies in them. So again, is the 5% number a surprise here? We need more community-based vaccination sites, so that's churches, schools, public housing facilities, and community centers. Obviously, we need more doses, but doing away with the appointment-based vaccinations and moving to a drive-up model will be key as supplies increase. Finally, dollars from Washington for outreach, explaining to people what they need to do and how they can go about doing that and putting money in mail programs, Black Radio, and other Black press, in addition to enrolling trusted Black voices and raising awareness and addressing hesitancy, have to happen if we want the numbers of our people taking the COVID vaccine to increase. Without this kind of investment and intentionality around access, we'll be having the same conversations months from now, and the stakes are simply getting too high for us to get this wrong. Can't wait to see you guys on Thursday. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We out. Okay.